Good morning, you guys. It's really good to see you guys on Father's Day. I, you know, they've already said everything I feel like needs to be said. Um, uh, the title of father is a, is a huge deal. And if you are a dad or if you have a dad or, you know, whatever, I hope you feel loved and honored today. I really do. That's a, you get, you are, have the privilege of sharing the same title that our Heavenly Father holds. That's a, that's a privilege. I, I really hope you guys feel honored and loved today. I really do. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Levi. Uh, I serve here as the student pastor, and it's, it is really good to see you guys this morning. Um, we've been in uh, the book of First Peter, uh, and a sermon series that we've been calling Faithfully Living in a Foreign World. And we've seen Peter repeatedly use uh, language that is very reminiscent of language used to describe the ancient Israelites, uh, phrases like elect exiles, which points back to the days of the Exodus as the people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness after being freed from slavery. And uh, this is all super interesting, especially considering the fact that Peter is talking to uh, predominantly Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, who are seeking to trust and follow Jesus. Um, I, was, I was talking to uh, uh, Travis about, the, uh, about this this morning, but um, whenever, I, I don't know about y'all, and he and I kind of share this, this kind of feeling, but when you're, when you're studying God's word or exploring scripture, and uh, I, I, I always get super excited whenever I find something new, not like, a, oh, that's so interesting, I didn't make that connection, but it's like, Oh, oh my, like, all oh, the pieces, they're all kind of fitting together. Like, I, I legitimately get excited. I might be, I thought I was unique in that, but then I was talking to Travis this morning. He was like, oh, dude, this thing, and it just, like, blew my mind. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we could share that. But I get, I always get super excited. And it made, it made me think, um, just even in this conversation, it made me think about uh, when I started attending seminary. Um, back when uh, Rachel and I were first married, and we were in this little you know, one bedroom apartment, and if I was doing, if she was working from home, she'd be at the kitchen table, and I would be like two steps next to her at the, you know, the couch or whatever, because there's all this little small space, and uh, I'd, you know, be listening to my lecture or whatever, and I would, I would hear something new, and I'd have to pause it, and I'd run over, I'd be like, you know, hold on, that that Excel spreadsheet can wait, oh my gosh, did you, oh, I just realized this connection or whatever, and it's, and every time, uh, uh, I tried to describe that feeling. It's like going on, uh, it's like going on a treasure hunt. I don't know if you guys relate to that at all, but when I read scripture, it feels like, like if you are in the home that you grew up in, like you've been in this home for forever, you know every nook and cranny of this home, you you know everything there is to know, and then all of a sudden you realize there's like a hidden tunnel under your dishwasher, and you're like, how does how long has that been there? How did I not realize that? That's like, I grew up with God's word. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's an important piece of, you know, just my entire life. I, I grew up with it, and if you grew up with it like I did, I, I can remember high school Levi hitting this point where he was like, I, fi- I know everything. Like Genesis to Revelation, I figured it out. I know the story. I know all, all these verses. I've got, I've, like, I've got this. And then you hold that until you learn that one thing new that just blows your mind and realizes, I'm going to be learning until I see Jesus face to face, and that treasure hunt is just going to continue for the rest of my life. It's super duper fun. And that, this treasure hunt in God's Word is incredible, and it is very active, uh, especially in 
First Peter, and in this section of First Peter too, um, Peter continues to put these uh, hyperlinks, if you will, uh, in his letter to kind of take us back and have us look back at the Old Testament, um, and calls these Gentile Christians to live differently from the world as they live in the world. So we're going to go ahead and get started. First Peter chapter two. If you guys have Bibles. You can turn there for me. This is uh, verses 4 through 12. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'll have it up on the screen behind me. And uh, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, like at all, um, we should have some at the Kenick point in the back corner. Please take one, take it with you. We want you to have a physical copy of God's Word. And we should still have them back there, but if for some reason we're out, come find me. I've got some hidden around the place. Um, but otherwise, uh, open up your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Let's do it. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and for the time that we get to spend in it. I pray that you give us open minds and open hearts to receive your word. And I pray that we walk away knowing that we are loved, that we are cared for, and that you never leave us or forsake us. We love you so much, and it's because you love us first. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Last week, Mark walked us through the first half, or rather the second half of chapter 1, and the first few verses of chapter 2. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, Peter lists off malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander as things that we as Christians are called to put aside as we grow up in our salvation. Peter is calling these readers to put away these sinful practices as they are sanctified, as they are given salvation from the power of sin. As a, as a total aside, I wanted to mention this real quick. If Sometimes when we read the Bible or we read big books about theology or whatever, um, there can be a lot of big words that are used that might, uh, we might not fully understand or might not fully get on our first reading. Um, if you want a very comprehensive explanation, I think very comprehensive explanation of what justification, sanctification, and glorification are, go back and listen to Mark's sermon from last week. 
he, he, near the end, he kind of gave this overview, and I thought it was so good. Like, it's, it's very approachable, very comprehensive, because those are big words, and sometimes people throw them around, and we're like, what does that mean? We don't have, have enough time to review it now, but go back and watch Mark's sermon from uh, last week. It was very good. Um, but this is the context that we're jumping into this morning. These mostly Gentile Christians receiving this letter have tasted the kindness of the Lord and are growing in relationship with him as they are being sanctified in him. These Gentile Christians are coming to know Jesus more. Let's jump in, verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Through this letter, Peter has been driving home the fact that these Gentile Christians are a part of God's family. They, like the Israelites, are God's chosen people. And this is Peter's kind of first hyperlink back to the book of Exodus. It's super cool. When Peter says that we're building a house, it's a spirit house. It's a combo of, of two Greek words. Uh, it's the, uh, one, the first one is the adjective form of the word spirit. Um, and then the second one is uh, one of Pastor Mark's favorite Greek words. It's the Greek word for household. It's the word oikos. It's a spirit household, a spirit community. Literally, he's building a spirit house. When Peter is referring to a spirit house, we're to picture the, the tabernacle or the temple. Now, uh, the history of the ancient Israelites is, is super long and super sacred and super cool, um, but few things were as revered and, and important to them as the temple and before that, the tabernacle. And I would, I would love to sit here and for just hours and just discuss the significance of the tabernacle. We, we literally did it in, in the student ministry for a whole semester. We went through Exodus, and it's like, it's super cool, and I would love to do that, but we obviously don't have time, so I'm just going to kind of s- summarize my thoughts with, with this. Um, humanity was created to be in relationship with God, but in our sin, we messed up that relationship. Because of humanity's sin, we were removed from the unhindered and beautiful presence of God that we got to experience in the Garden of Eden. Fast forward many, many years, and God gives his people the opportunity to be in covenant relationship with him once again. And the Israelites are instructed to build this tent with very specific dimensions and designs, all pointing to and reminding Israel of the Garden of Eden. This portable tent called the tabernacle, and later the permanent building, the permanent spot called the temple, would be the place where the Spirit of the Lord would dwell among his people. And in the final scene of the book of Exodus, God's Spirit literally is resting in the holy place of this tent. Again, like this moment is huge, historically speaking, and again, I would love to just sit on this and just unpack it, but we can't. Just try, like It's a huge, huge moment of God's presence coming in and filling this tent. So Peter is saying that we're about to build a a spiritual household, a spirit community, but this house will not be built by normal with normal building materials like the tabernacle or the temple, but instead will be built with living stones. 
This household community will be made of people. In John chapter 1, verses 14a, the first half of chapter 14, it talks about Jesus when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you're in FSM, we talked about this. That word dwelt is that Greek word that means literally pitching a tent, to pitch a tent. It's literally Jesus tabernacled with us. Jesus came to tabernacle with his people. The presence of God took on human form and was tabernacling with his people. Peter describes Jesus as a living stone rejected by men and chosen by God. He was the first building block of this spiritual household, the spiritual community made of people, but the world rejected him. Now Peter is telling us that we too, like Jesus, are spiritual stones being built into a household. A spiritual community of believers and dwelt by the Spirit called to be a royal priesthood. Now, when I read texts like this, a lot of times the, the thought will come into my mind, and maybe it does for you, why, why living stones? Like, why does, why does Peter decide to use the word stone, a living stone, to describe Jesus? Like, he's not, a living, he's not literally a stone, so why would he choose this language? And we see in the next few verses, he actually chooses this language as, an, again, another hyperlink and as a hyperlink back to the prophecies of the Old Testament. Verses 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word, as they are destined to do. Yet again, to this mostly Gentile audience, Peter continues to use and reference Old Testament texts and terms. In verse 6, he quotes from Isaiah 28, 16. In verse 7, we see Psalm 118, verse 22. And in verse 8, we see Isaiah 8, verse 14. And the focus for these verses is an object called the cornerstone. When a building or a structure... Is, is, is being put together. The cornerstone was this stone or this brick or this building material uh, that was placed first. It was the first one placed. And basically, it was the reference point for the rest of the materials used to build the desired structure. So the entire shape and the direction and the build, everything was determined by the placement of the first stone. Through verse 5, we learn that God is building a sort of house for his people. And that Jesus was the first living stone for the spiritual building. And now with these Old Testament hyperlinks, we can see that Jesus' role was to be the cornerstone for the spiritual house. Jesus was placed first so that we know that the spirit community is supposed to look like. That's how we know what it's supposed to look like. If any of you, if any of us believers as living stones are trying to understand where we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be built, what our community is supposed to look like, we literally look to Jesus. He's literally showing us the direction and the way that we are supposed to go. Verse 8, however, is a little bit different than the others. Peter doesn't add a third verse specifically talking about the function of the cornerstone itself, of the idea of it guiding and directing, but rather it's a verse that talks about Jesus as a stumbling block. If someone has placed a cornerstone, 
Like you place it down to build this structure. And you don't want to build your house the direction of the cornerstone, the way that it's prompting you to go. The stone is not a stone that guides, it's a stone that trips up. It's a stone that messes up your ideas and your plans. A stone that is messing up the blueprints of the house you are wanting to build your way. So if the stone is placed and it's saying, house is going to be this direction and this dimension, but Levi says, no, I'd rather do it this way. The entire time I'm building my structure, that stone is sitting there just getting in my way because it's not pointing the direction that I was wanting it to go. Regardless of if you follow Jesus or not, the role, his role rather, for the spirit community is still going to be the cornerstone. If you build through Jesus' direction, all the pieces are going to fit together. But if you want to freestyle through your own idea of how life should go, that cornerstone is just going to trip you up. Jesus will be a stumbling block for many people who want to live their lives their way. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. In the first 18 chapters of Exodus, the Lord frees the Israelites from the oppression of slavery and utterly decimates the corrupt ruler who challenges him. In the wilderness, God provides food and water and military victory for his people as he led them to the foot of a mountain. And then in Exodus 19, God pursued a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. I'm going to read a few verses from Exodus 19. This is verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen that what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I knew I was going to put that section in my sermon. But even as I was reading it, and I I, I wrote this down to mention it because I just kept losing my mind over it. Whenever God claims what is his, I, I just love it. Like that's just something in scripture over, I don't like, I don't 100% know why deep, deep down, but I just love it. For all the earth is mine. He claims it. It's mine. The earth belongs to me. And that's true. He made the earth. It belongs to him. And there's a reason that God points this out. Everything is his. Absolutely everything. And yet he chose Israel. It literally, it literally, you are my treasured possessions among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. He could have chosen anyone. He chooses Israel. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert he chooses us. It's, I love it. It's so cool. I can't, I can't remember uh, where in scripture that is where it's like, uh, the cattle on a thousand hills, it's mine. I feel, like I, I feel like I bring that into sermons a lot. I just love it. God calls them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He chooses them and calls them into these roles. Now, the purpose of a priest was to represent 
the Lord to represent God to the people. As a kingdom of priests, the entire nation of Israel was called to represent the Lord to the world through the way that they lived their lives. The Israelites were to serve as mediators between God and the nations. Through Israel, knowledge and understanding of the one true God was presented to the nations. Through Israel, following God's commands, the nations would get to know who God was and is. In short, if the nations wanted to know God, they would look to Israel and say, I want to know who this Yahweh is. I want to know who this God is. There's Israel. Is that, okay, that's what God's like. Israel was supposed to be that to the nations. If they wanted to know God's character, they were to look to Israel. As a holy nation, they were called to be set apart. That's what the word holy means. We've talked about this very briefly before. That word holy means set apart. Like when you read on the cover of a lot of y'all's Bibles, it says holy Bible. That just means set apart. And the word Bible, which is from the Greek word, that just means scroll or book. It's just holy scroll, holy, set, set apart scroll, set apart book. This book is different than all the other books. It's set apart. Israel had a special relationship with God and is called to a special standard. Now, as many of you may know, uh, Israel uh, often does a very poor job representing God. If you don't know that, read, pick any passage in the Old Testament, and it's probably, and Israel fell away from God, and the prophets are like, why? Like, it happens over and over and over again. As a kingdom of priests, we weren't always the best mediators. And the prophets look forward to the day that the Messiah, the perfect version of humanity to represent God to the nations, would arrive. Jesus is called our great high priest. He is the perfect mediator between humanity and God because he himself is both humanity and God. Super duper cool. Again, that's a whole other topic we could go down. It's very awesome. All right, verse 10. Sorry, this whole passage is super cool. Mark and I were literally talking about it before he was like, I'm so jealous you get to teach this. It's so good. I'm like, no. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In verse 10, Peter references the book of Hosea in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And Peter applies these texts to the Gentiles and tells them, you weren't considered God's people back then, but you sure are now. Then at the beginning of verse 11, which we'll look at here in a second, you'll see Peter refer to the Gentiles as beloved. This is a very, very cool word in the Greek. It's, it's the adjective form of the word agape, which is the, that word for love. A lot of you may have heard that word before, agape. This transition from verse 10 to 11 is super cool because basically after Peter tells these Gentiles that they are a part of God's family, he uses this very personal word where he identifies them as people who have personally experienced the love of God. He's calling them divinely loved ones. He's saying, you, were, you weren't a part of this, and now you are divinely loved ones, and then continues the dialogue. It's, it, I, yeah, I'm sure Peter did that, because I know Peter did that on purpose. All right, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, divinely loved ones, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when 
when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Last week, Mark talked about two different kinds of temptations. When believers in Jesus put their faith into practice, it will eventually begin to go against the grain of culture that is going to happen. And when that happens, there are often two tempting spaces that Christians tend to hide in. Uh, The first is syncretism. Mark referred to this space as uh, chameleon Christianity, which I think is a very apt description. Like a chameleon that blends in with its surroundings when it's faced with some sort of opposition, a Christian practicing syncretism will ditch the teachings of Scripture and adopt the common practices of culture to avoid being seen as different from the world. Peter speaks to these Christians specifically in verse 11 as he calls back to their identity as sojourners and exiles. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have been chosen by God, and because of that, you will be rejected by the world. John says to his, or rather, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15 that because the world rejected Jesus, it will also reject his followers. The world is not our home. Peter talked about that earlier in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Our inheritance awaits us and is not of this world. As followers of Jesus, we look forward with a living hope to what is not of this world and then to the new heavens and the new earth as we live contrary to the teachings that contradict God's word. We are called to live uniquely as a holy nation. And many Christians hear this message to be set apart as a holy nation and overcorrect into the second temptation, which is separatism. Mark called this one turtle Christianity. Again, a great description. When a turtle senses danger, it hides in its shell. In the face of culture, Christian separatism still holds on to the Bible, but runs and hides from the world within a sheltered and secluded Christian bubble. Mark said it really well last week when he said, separatism circles the wagons in a defensive posture and throws a brick outside of the circle every once in a while and calls it evangelism. That's so good. Peter speaks to these Christians in verse 12 as he calls them to continue to engage with the world in a God-honoring way. People will speak evil of you, but while they do, they're still watching. In the Greek, that word seeing or to look or to, to watch or whatever is, is a word, the attitude behind it is like a careful watching over like a long period of time. This is not a snap decision. They don't see you and they go, I get it. They're continuing to watch. Our conduct needs to be honorable even amongst evildoers because even the evildoers are carefully observing our behavior. We as believers are not called to separate, separate but actively live as an example to non-believers and believers alike. Verse 10 through 12 are telling the Gentiles that they have been called, like the Israelites, into a new covenant relationship. So live as a holy nation, set apart from the world. At the same time, live as a royal priesthood that points people to God through the way you live your lives. I'm going to go ahead and welcome the band back up here, uh, and I'm going to, I want to give us a quick recap. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 12, talks a lot about uh, how we need to live as Christians, uh, some, some phrases of identity on us, 
Um, but I wanted to mainly focus on three parts of this just as a reminder. Number one, we are living stones filled by the Spirit of the Lord. We are like the temple, but better. If you do not trust Jesus as your Lord and do not trust or obey his word, then, you, then he will merely be a stumbling block to you. But through Christ as our cornerstone, we are given direction on how to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to the Lord as he is glorified. Number two, we are a royal priesthood called to be the mediators between God and the nations. And when the nations want to know what Jesus is like, they're, they're supposed to look to us. That's a big responsibility. We should not take that lightly. It's a huge responsibility. In God's loving kindness, he allows us to participate in his plan by reflecting his glory as image bearers and showing the world the character of God, the God that we so gladly worship and serve. And number three, we are a holy nation, set apart by God to be distinct from the world. This being set apart is not justifying our feeling entitled or superior, but rather an acknowledgement that by being a follower of Christ, we will live differently than the world. We are set apart not because of what we've done, but because the creator of the world chose us despite what we've done. I want you guys to notice something this morning about the whole passage, but these three in particular. Every single one of these identities, every single one of these callings was not earned. It's not something that we somehow strive to and then like because of our work we obtained. We are living stones because the Lord allows us to be indwelt by the Spirit. By grace, through faith, we receive God's Spirit. It is a gift. We are a royal priesthood because the Lord called us to that office. He says, you are my treasured possession. You will be a royal priesthood. You will be the mediator between me and the nations. We are a holy nation because God set us apart. We are not set apart because we as human beings that go to church on Sunday are somehow better than everybody else. We're not. But Jesus in his loving kindness chose us and says that you are set apart. You are mine. All of this Every bit of it is because God, Yahweh, the, the king of the universe, the one who said this morning, everybody in this room gets to have oxygen in their lungs today. The one who did that for us, the one who sent his son to die for us, looked at us and said, you are mine. I... I cannot get over that, and I really pray, Lord, I pray that I never get over that. We belong and have been claimed by the king of the universe. That is good news. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you 
Thank you for, for creating us, for seeing us, for knowing us, for choosing us, for setting us apart, for claiming us. I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that you look at us as your children, your children, your treasured possession. I pray that we realize that, Lord, that who we are and everything good in this world is not because of who we are, but because of who you are, because of who you've made us to be. Lord, I pray that we don't take that calling lightly and that we remember that everything is from you. Every good and beautiful thing comes from you and is a gift from you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.